Hey everyone, you are now tuning into The Rebecca School Listener, a podcast for Rebecca School, which is a therapeutic day school for children ages 3 to 21 with neurodevelopmental delays of relating and communicating, including those on the autism spectrum. My name is Chris Hernandez, media specialist here at The Rebecca School, and I will be your host as we journey into the daily lives of those who work here. Enjoy. You know, growing up in New York City, things are kind of like hectic in a sense, and you always forget that you have to kind of sometimes take a step back and breathe. And, you know, breathing is the point of today's podcast episode. And so today here I have with me three really innovative colleagues of mine who have started a breathing group here at the Rebecca School. So I just want to start with introductions. So I will start with Jennifer. Okay. Go right ahead. My name is Jennifer Shankoff. I am a speech pathologist at the Rebecca School. Hi, my name is Lauren Marizzi, and I'm a physical therapist at Rebecca School. And I'm Caroline Kaplan. I'm an occupational therapist at the Rebecca School. Thank you so much for being here today. I know everyone has such a busy schedule, and I really appreciate that you guys take time to come in and talk to me and talk to our listeners essentially. So the first question I kind of want to throw at you is the history of Breathing Group. Tell me how it started, how the idea kind of came together, and how you guys really implemented it in the beginning. Yeah, so we last school year had all sort of been thinking about breath and how it incorporates into each of our sessions individually and like discipline specific how it affects movement and speech and all these different aspects of our daily like daily living skills and I had taken a course on how breath and posture influences so many things including continence and uh, readiness to move and all these different pieces and we just sort of started spitballing ideas and coming up with different things and then we approached Jen because we know her background is speech and we wanted to kind of get this collaborative group going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lauren Lauren and Caroline had already been working on teams together and I had been working with Lauren on a team but the three of us had never been able to collaborate in any kind of way before. We were all on separate teams so once we were all working on the same classroom team we knew that we wanted to collaborate on different things and when they approached me about this I had already been working on it as Lauren said in my individual sessions because a lot of the times our kids who are nonverbal part of the reason why they may have trouble speaking is that they can't coordinate their breath which comes back to their sensory processing and their motor development and how strong their core is and how their muscles are all working together And so when they do start to talk, they are really only speaking in one word phrases, maybe two words, and then you can see them physically fatigue and get tired or their vocal volume is really low. So I had been targeting it already, but we felt like a group environment was a really great way to work on it. And we had all sort of started thinking of kids on our caseloads that we thought were appropriate and we all had 
a lot of the similar kids in mind, and so we came up with a group of like six kids to bring, and that is how it was made. Mm-hmm. Um, to add one more point, I think the bottom line when it came down to all of our conversations with each other is um, breathing in general is something that we as adults and clinicians in the Rebecca School talk about every day with our students and we model for our students and um, at the end of the day the three of us came together and was like this is really hard for our students to do Um, what can we do about it so I think that's what sparked breathing group do you think that there's anything that would be beneficial to add to that description to that description no um I was thinking about it I was listening to you guys so maybe 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 talk a little bit about how you originally structured the group, mm-hmm. like how it was run, how you guys facilitated it, um, but don't go in depth about the facilitation okay. because I want to leave like question like four open as a question of like how each of you collaboratively like how we each influenced the yeah group. Okay. Not, not not influenced the group but what each of you individually are looking looking for like goals or for our- things that you're doing that are dependent on like your practice and everything so like what is Jen doing in regards to speech Mm -hmm. during it and then what are you doing in regards to physical therapy and then you and occupational therapy so it's kind of like a what does the group look like and like what are you guys doing in it things Mm -hmm. like that so maybe right for now speak a little bit about what did I say before speak a little bit about um, like no 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 no, no, about the structure the original structure and what the game plan was mm-hmm. when, like, how you would transition the children into the group and what you would do in the group, how, how that plan in the beginning looked like, like, yeah. what it looked like. Okay. Well, I can kind of get us started on that because I think when we first sat down and were taking notes and making a list of what our goals were going to be, what it was going to look like, I think that we were going back and forth a lot between do we pilot this with one class do we pilot it individually with certain kids on our caseload that we know can follow directions and maybe are a bit more quote-unquote engaged and compliant? Um, or do we go for the kids who have a really high need for breath support, for regulation and um, movement and speech? And I think that it kind of came together that we decided to pull kids from different classes that were around the same age to see how we could foster relationships between all the classes, but also so that these kids could be out of their normal routine of a movement group in their class. So that was really our first step, I think, in choosing who we decided to put in the group and how we were gonna get ready to structure it. Yeah, and then we looked at our overall goal being that we want these students to understand breath and how their body is able to control it and use it as something that can be helpful, not harmful. Um, And so looking at that, we talked about, okay, in order to control your breath and be able to do that on command, what pieces do you need first? And we talked a lot about like, okay, first to structure the group, we just need to, A, just share attention on one thing so that we can hold everybody in one space and um, create this shared 
space that everybody feels safe and comfortable in. And then we talked about the other pieces that you might need for those components of breath, like body awareness and rhythm and um, the ability to sustain a breath in a certain posture and the different positions that we wanted to work in. So we started structuring the group based on that. Um, and I think we just started with the very basics of um, the different components that I just listed. So we sort of structured it from bottom up, not expecting them to be able to control breath day one, but just the ability to um, tune into their body a little better so that they could eventually get there. And to expand a little more on one of Lauren's points, I think to start this group, um, not only to support the students that we chose, but ourselves was creating a regulating space. Um, so we put a lot of thought into the physical space that we were using. Um, and we chose what we have an empty classroom on one of our floors. Um, it doesn't have any furniture in it. Um, there's only a whiteboard uh, and lights. Um, and we thought about how we wanted the room to look and how we were going to set it up. And we chose um, to bring in yoga mats and chairs. And then um, it kind of happened organically, but the lights are typically turned off throughout the group. Um, and I think that we as a group, as adults and clinicians in the room, create help create this space for the kids and for ourselves by making it as predictable as possible each week. Because going into this, it was novel to the students and novel to us. And I think that a sense of predictability and going to this space every week and having at least that be an expectation of what are, what are we walking into this week? What is it going to look like um, before, you know, putting more expectations on the students of what they are doing physically in the group or emotionally um, and helping to foster or supporting their individual differences while fostering the relationships that we were hoping to expand on. Mm -hmm. And that predictability even came down to where in the room they were sitting and where the yoga mats were going to be situated and where on the yoga mat the chair was going to be situated so week one we went in we said okay we're going to put the yoga mats down all facing each other like a starburst and we're going to put the chair at the back of the mat so they can kind of have a visual line of the yoga mat pointing towards each other and they're all going to be able to visually reference each other and that's how we're going to create um, a space for them that they can engage with each other a little bit better. And then week two, we found that that was actually visually overwhelming for a couple <laughs> of the kids. So we moved the chairs inward and that created a better space that they were physically closer to each other and to us. And it cut out some of the visual distraction and it allowed them to come in every week and they now set up their own space and their own mat and chair and they know exactly what's gonna come, like Caroline was saying, because we write on the whiteboard um, a, a schedule of every activity that we're gonna do, which we'll break down a little bit in a little bit, but I really think that predictability was something that we were aiming for um, starting day one. You're jogging my memory about the trials and tribulations that we went through <laughs> at the beginning of just like organizing when we were gonna have the group because we had kids from three or four different classrooms and like finding a time that each of us could be there for because the, the group is a whole hour long 
So not only us to be there for a whole hour, but all these kids to be there for a whole hour with kids on the transitions floor here. They have a million things going on throughout their day. And then we had some dropouts because they had too many things going on. So just logistically, that was a challenge to get planned. Mm -hmm. um, but once we found the time, it was, it's not the best time in the mm -hmm. world because it's Thursday afternoon. Everybody's a little bit like lagged from the week, mm -hmm. but it's, it's doable and it works. And now that it's become a routine, it's been much more successful getting everybody there. But for the first like five or six weeks, we had low participation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think it has been a good experience overall for the three of us and for the students to get into a routine of a novel activity because a lot of the things that we do at Rebecca School have been put in place for a few years. Every class does a movement group around lunchtime or a movement group first thing in the morning or they do sensory diets or they do cooking groups and to be able to bring in this new element not only of a new thing that the kids are going to be focusing on for themselves but also a new space to kind of explore and relate to each other and try something new has aided I, I think, I don't know how you guys feel, mm -hmm. in all of their flexibility. Oh, because yeah. flexibility yeah. is something that they all really need to work on. And using DIR, I think, has lent into this whole experience that we're pushing them a little bit developmentally to think outside of their normal routine in so many ways and also move outside of their normal routine. And it's made us think outside of our routine, too. So we've had to be quick to think about elements of a group that are important and I think I mean at least for me it's definitely pushed me clinically a little bit more to think and assess and I, I don't know I've really enjoyed it and I'm really glad that you guys highlighted that about like basically the trials and everything that you went through in forming this group and how you know over time things got better because I think from an instructional design standpoint no one really understands that when you first put together a group, like things aren't always going to go your way mm -hmm. and you're going to have some failures in the beginning, but as time goes on and you adapt and you change the instruction up that's going on, like things are going to get better. Right. You just have to learn like the flow of your students and how they're interacting together. Cause although they may be in class with other students that they like, you know, they have a new, it's like a new mix seeing mm -hmm. a new mixing of like different students that have never been in classes together before so you never know how they're gonna act exactly um yeah it's almost like working at a startup <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really feels like I, i've never worked at a startup i came straight here from gra graduating grad school but this is what i figure all my friends who have worked at startups go through like you come in you think the project's gonna look one way or the company's gonna look one way and you've got your mission statement you know what you're getting yourself into and then week two comes through and you have to sit back and reflect on well those two weeks were interesting <laughs> what's week three gonna look like and we would meet every few weeks and kind of go through all that and we're very reflective at this school and so I think that that was very natural for the three of us to sit down and think as a group but we've definitely been dynamically assessing ourselves and the kids and the group and yeah it's been it's been yeah. interesting <laughs> yeah I was gonna say we definitely went into it with an open mind but that's the beauty of the Rebecca school and bringing these new ideas to light. Um, you know, we only had expectations for ourselves. Um, and 
we've been able to kind of see what's working, what's not working on a weekly basis and make changes as needed. But um, every moment has proven to be an opportunity for positive growth and change, whether, you know, something worked or didn't work. So, yeah, one thing I also realized that we haven't really touched on yet is that we decided as a group that before we started, we wanted to take baseline data for all of the kids across all three of our disciplines so we kind of pulled from all of our graduate training and said if I would like I said for instance if I was assessing voice because that's really where breathing comes into play in my field what would I be looking for what what are the kinds of evaluations I would be doing and we all decided to kind of informally assess the kids and we found a lot of really interesting trends across all of the kids so it goes back to structuring the group and deciding who's going to be in the group and we kind of already assumed that this would be a good group but then seeing that they all had similar deficits or similar challenges I should say um, they they all really fit well together in terms of their needs yeah we did baseline testing the first few weeks of school and we looked at um, we looked at basically does um, providing certain tools for these students um, in kind of assisting them to breathe during certain movements, whether that's like counting while they're holding a movement or um, singing or doing something that is creating an inherent breath while they're doing movement, if that helps the quality of their movement. Um, does that make sense? And it, it pretty no, it much does. went like across the board. They mm -hmm. all just showed such a difference in the quality of movement. And um, we looked at just a variety of different breath kind of generation. So we looked at like, can they, um, can they develop a deep breath? Like first we started just like diaphragmatic breathing, just observing their breath pattern. Are they belly breathing or are they sh doing like a shallow chest breathe? Or um, where exactly is the breath coming from and how quickly are they breathing? And then we looked at, can they blow through a straw, blow mm -hmm. a cup across the table, um, which would require a good amount of force to generate from their diaphragm. And then we looked at, um, can they do that in different positions? And then we did some sit to stand and some different like isolating movements and saw basically how that changed with breath and without breath. Mm -hmm. And I think as adults, we do this a lot in workout classes like you go to a um, high intensity class you go to pilates a lot of it is about moving with your breath especially when i take pilates classes they're always bringing you back to your breath making sure that when you're moving your legs up and down that maybe when your legs go down you're breathing in and when your legs go up you're breathing out and our students have a lot of trouble doing that even when they're just standing up from a chair or sitting down in a chair they're holding their breath yeah because i mean inherently we try to hold our breath to to create more force and to stabilize our body and that's why we see in this population at Rebecca School such a high frequency of this because um, so many of our students have low tone and they have weak core muscles and they're searching for any compensation that can help them and a lot of times that comes in the form of holding their breath um, so without any sort of thought they're they're holding their breath 90% of their day and um, trying to find some sort of way to work against gravity and just move so 
I think that's why we saw it so relevant here. To add to that, um, it all, at the end of the day, we keep talking about how it comes down to breath and coordination of our breath. And, you know, we thought about our students and what their typical day looks like and how many things that, you know, we're asking them to do, whether it's just in our sessions or throughout the whole day, you know, in the classroom, outside of the classroom. Um, and they're doing these activities every day. They're getting in and out of chairs every day, up and off the floor every day. Um, they're moving, they're going through movement groups, cooking groups, um, as Jen had mentioned earlier, all of these activities, but it all comes down to how are they using their breath? It seems like a very simple, basic concept that to you and I comes naturally. Um, so we just thought this was a good opportunity to go back to the basics and look at the foundations and how are students breathing and what does that mean to them? Do they know what it means to breathe and to actively breathe and take part in such an important part of their daily living? And so the key word here is like, or not key word, but key phrase is kind of like breathing through activities. Mm -hmm. So I want you each to explain like what the activities look like in breathing group, like what you go through, what you help the students with, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I can start by talking a little bit about body awareness. So if we're asked, we, you know, we are talking as a group and we're asking our kids to bring this awareness to their breath, um, which we came to find out was really challenging and kind of giving them that verbal directive and even by modeling, you know, showing or modeling deep breathing for them, it was still challenging for them to reciprocate um, back to us. So bringing it back to body awareness, which is a challenge that a lot of our students here um, face and something that we in these three disciplines work on in our sessions and in our groups. Um, from an OT perspective, I can talk a little bit about how, you know, work, um, our sensory systems play into that, but what does it mean to have an awareness of our body and space and how we're moving, um, before we ask our students to actively breathe and with purpose. Um, so some activities that we do in group, um, we took from another program we use here called Thinking Goes to School. So in the beginning of breathing group, we were doing, um, what was it before the hokey pokey? I can't, I mean, mm, I feel like we were just doing like was a, it modified a body lift. Modified body lift. It was yeah. seated body lift. So we were, and we called it body lift. So mm -hmm. the students were sitting in a chair and we were <laughs> asking them to identify, you know, stick out your right arm and then we were modeling and maybe we were providing tactile cues if for students that needed that um, and then going through their different limbs and maybe their head and touching their nose and their ears um, but this kind of rote exercise wasn't exactly the most motivating um, so that transformed into the hokey pokey um, so this element of rhythm and music and um, a so familiar yeah, yeah, so activity to the kids um, proved to be much more motivating for them and for us to kind of do collaboratively, um, but still targeting the same goal. So bringing awareness to their body and their different body parts before bringing it back to their breath. And then we incorporated some, in order to sort of get the students an ability to understand a rhythm and timing of movement to sequence something, 
we started another thinking goes to school activity clap patterns um, and that started simply just as like follow my clap and we would just all try to keep a rhythm and then that proved to be a little challenging just because um, it was tough for some students to coordinate the movement it, it was tough for some students to just um, be able to attend to the task long enough to keep going um, so the same idea, we made that a little bit more motivating by, we first allowed the students to bring in their own clap patterns, um, which got kind of creative. Some students had some other ideas of like clapping high, clapping low, and just coordinating different sequences. Um, and then we turned it into, if you're happy and you know it game. And so we would just kind of go through the song and then clap your hands two times. And that was sort of our, uh, our way of incorporating the rhythm and timing in different movements. So they do like clap your hands, stomp your feet. Sometimes we do some weird stuff like <laughs> twirling around yeah. or whatever the- Tapping your knees. Tapping your knees, whatever they decide that day. Mm -hmm. um, but it's all, in, it's all going after the same goal of coordinating your body on time with a beat or a rhythm so that eventually you can coordinate your breath with, a, with the same intention. Mm -hmm. and I mean, just talking about these two games, inherently there's a lot of language involved, and I would say that a good majority of the group has difficulties with auditory processing and visual processing, so trying to combine those two things, I think we found that using music, using a familiar framework of a song, aided their comprehension in these types of games and allowed for quicker processing so they could tune into each other a little bit better and really actually get into a rhythm versus the three of us clapping and everybody kind of having a delayed clap. Yeah. It didn't really show to be very conducive to our goals, but we also were focusing from a speech perspective. I was thinking about voicing, like I said before, and coordinating the breath for speech versus breathing for life because there is a difference in that. Um, Breathing for life is something inherent that we do from, you know, literally the second that we're born and even beforehand, and um, that's more of your chest breath, that, like, when you're just sitting at rest, you're more likely going to be naturally breathing from the chest versus the diaphragm, although some people are natural diaphragmatic breathers, but when you're singing, when you're speaking, in order to really sustain speech for longer periods of time, like having a conversation on this podcast, mm -hmm. um, you need to be taking a deeper breath to get more words out and to be using more complex sound patterns. So I think that we incorporated singing an um. And, well, we originally wanted to do om, and they all thought it was hysterical, <laughs> which is really funny to think about. Like, that tone, why was that so funny to them? So... Um was a little bit more natural, a little bit easier for all of them to get into, or just a hmm. So we start the group with that, just kind of a unifying sound, and getting them to practice trying to coordinate that breath and making a sound together and having that be kind of a, an auditory anchor for the group. And I'm also thinking about the singing throughout all the activities, the language being used throughout all the activities, the sequencing just helping the kids relate and communicate with each other. Um, but overall, really just thinking about those differences and, and thinking about vocal volume and, and voicing. And then we brought, we brought in a couple 
very direct breathing activities like blowing bubbles and then we've recently transitioned that into the straw uh, like blowing through a straw at an object and now we're doing like the little party blowers um, blowing that at an object and after that they move into more gross body movements kind of incorporating the breath with that um, initially we didn't have a ton of expectation of of the breath coordinating with the movement but just putting the idea out there modeling it for the students so that eventually they can grasp the concept so for example we'll we'll start seated do all those activities that we were just talking about seated and then um, we're very uh, thoughtful about the positioning that they're moving in just so that we can sort of wake up the breath from an easier position and then moving into harder positions and then finishing the group in a nice relaxed position just laying on the yoga mat so we moved from the chair to like standing up into sort of a um like a mountain pose and then forward fold and just sort of trying to coordinate like breathing in reaching up and breathing out coming down um and we've tried to incorporate some more yoga movements into the group so like different ones that will help them kind of feel their belly breath a little bit more like child's pose like trying to breathe into their belly while they're sitting in it um in different positions and then eventually we would get onto the back and do some guided meditation at the end um also incorporating some more body awareness and um sort of what we would call like contract relax so like pick something pick pick up a limb contract it and then relax it so that they can start to tune into each body position a little more while they're doing that deep breath mm -hmm. yeah and going circling back into what obviously what Lauren's talking about but also what Caroline was talking about with body awareness a lot of what we're trying to teach them is about thinking about their body parts being able to identify their body parts and then also bringing in the rhythmicity of it, t trying to tell somebody, breathe in and breathe out, just thinking about that for a second, you have to have all of these elements incorporated into something that's generalized and familiar and meaningful in order to even begin to think about that coordination and that pattern. And I think that all of the activities that we've set up then at the end during the relaxation have really lent themselves to the breathing in and out being a little bit more natural for them. Like they're not even realizing that they're more aware of their body, but we'll say like, put you can put your hands on your belly or you can put your hands next to you and we're just gonna breathe in and out five times. And we found that, especially over the last month, that they all immediately begin to belly breathe after they've worked their body a little bit and they've thought about it and they've really honed their mind on what this all means that it then becomes natural which was our number one goal from the beginning so then when you're bringing in the language piece of like breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth I think that it has become a little bit more meaningful for them and so we can really start to challenge that a little bit more too yeah what I think is really nice about the end of group when all the students are on their back and on the mats and typically Jen is leading them through a guided meditation um, but it's just an opportunity for them so it's or a suggestion rather so Jen is you know leading them through and giving them or providing directives and hoping to bring awareness to their breath and what how their belly is moving 
Um, but it's a suggestion. So maybe they do have their hands on their belly or maybe they don't. And it's kind of how they're feeling in the moment and if they're available to participate or maybe they need a couple more moments and then they're ready to join. Um, but I think it just helps re-regulate everybody, ourselves included. Um, and it's just a nice time for the group as a whole to tune into themselves, share this space with everybody else in the group. Um, and we, like Jen mentioned, have been able to see the progress since you know October when the group officially started to now it being February and belly breathing is happening. Um, and you know, as the three of us have noticed it, it's not something that we're in the moment, you know, really excited and bringing or like verbal awareness to and saying, oh my gosh, look, you're doing this or you're doing that. But just kind of speaking to their bodies and helping the kids connect to their bodies and being like, wow, I see, you know, your belly is moving up and down. Um, or maybe, you know, just kind of narrating what's happening for them. And each kid, um, we support them differently, you know, depending on their needs and some more one-to-one and others are able to um, work more independently as they're listening to Jen. Um, but it's just been a nice time for the group as a whole, like I said, to re-regulate, tune into their bodies um, and hold that space. That's so beautiful what all three of you <laughs> have done here at the school with your breathing group. Um, but I, I want to ask the question because in my mind it's it wants to jump out right now. Mm-hmm. So what does DIR floor time, or rather how does DIR floor time play into your breathing group and how do you guys utilize that methodology? Great question, Chris. <laughs> um, well, I think that each of the elements of DIR, so the development of the kids, all of their individual differences, and obviously the relationship piece, they all play into your ability to be in group in general. So um, I think that when we first came into this group, we were focusing the most on the I. What are all their individual differences? How are each of our disciplines playing into this group? How are we going to support this big challenge when they have so many differences across the group Um, but really it's the developmental capacities that helped us to structure the group so I think that we're always thinking about regulation and engagement more than anything else capacities one and two and the inherent mindfulness that comes from the breath and Breathing and being in a group lends itself to regulation so much that they're more available to communicate with each other and be with each other and form relationships. So that's kind of where I see it coming from. Not sure about you guys. I'm thinking that the, I mean, we thought so much about the sharing attention on kind of um, one piece of the group and having making sure that the the students are really tuning into not only what like the focus is in that moment but also each other so I think floor time plays a big role in just how we set it up so just like the circle form that we take shape every group um, it really lends itself to engaging in one thing because we are all sort of sharing attention around the middle of the circle and we're all holding that space and um, maybe some students have a harder time 
maintaining regulation throughout the group. So we're still holding that space for them with visual cues and our own bodies and our, our own affect and um, the students' affect as well. I think they've started to develop stronger relationships, not as strong as we would love them to be, <laughs> um, but there's, they're getting there. I think that the, the collaboration across classrooms has, has proven to be a little more difficult in forming those relationships. Um, but we started to notice that they are thinking about each other, like, you know, where's, where, where's the student today, where's the student today, um, and another piece of that, we sing, we always start with a hello song and finish with a goodbye song, just to make sure that, um, we're, sh we're starting the group on, okay, let's all bring our attention to each other, to the group, to the time that we're going to share this space. And let's tune in to everybody that's here, and then we'll begin. Um, and same thing at the end. And I think that's been something really meaningful to all the students. And um, it's it's definitely a time where um, the students check in and, and start to build that relationship with each other and understand each other a little bit more, even if sometimes they might not be so thrilled to be in the same space <laughs> as each other. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, I think... It's all about that developing the relationship, and relationships aren't always easy. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm thinking a little bit about it from a, a clinical perspective, and how the three of us have been able to do this group using floor time and DIR. And something that comes to mind is our group that happened last week. Um, <laughs> we show up, and you know, we we set up as best we can, and we're kind of you know we're looking at each other and being like, what's going on today? Like, it's a little kooky in here. Um, regulation isn't really there across the board. So, you know, we're starting our activities and then we kind of just made a judgment call to be like, you know what? This isn't really working today and that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, but we still have, whatever it was, 20, 25 minutes left of this group. How can we make this a functional um, and meaningful use of their time and our time with them? Um, so I think having floor time on our side and being um, team members here because it is a team effort, we were able to make a call and decide, all right, let's 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 just create a calming environment for these kids. Like, what's going to be the best, um, what can we do for them right now? So we ended up, the lights were off, and we um, asked them to lay down or find a comfortable position, and we put on some calming, relaxing music and we provided one-to-one -one support for the kids that needed that, and I think within the remaining 20 minutes of the group, everybody was able to get back to a regulated state um, and transition but, you know, where they needed to go next before the end of the day. Um, and I think that was just a nice reminder of how life happens sometimes, and we are three adults and there are six students, and so, between the nine of us, we're never, we may not always be on the same page, um, but we can come pretty close to it. But just kind of reading the room and what the needs are of the students and ourselves are, um, floor time kind of helps, helped us, you know, reach that decision and feel comfortable and confident in supporting the students that way. And it's, oh, sorry, Chris. No, sorry. it's okay. You can go right ahead. <laughs> Cut me off. It is totally fine. So, so much to say. <laughs> it's also. <laughs> also given us the flexibility 
flexibility and the ability to leave space for the group to kind of form how it has. Like, mm -hmm. I think in a different model or a different setting, um, when people come in with expectations and goals in mind, um, it can become very structured and become, um, like, very demanding on the students. And I think that floor time has helped so much just leave that space for the students to bring their own interest and joy into the group so that now they are motivated to come. And now it doesn't feel like this space where we are demanding you to follow these nine steps every Thursday. It's like, we're gonna come and we're gonna enjoy the space together and we leave a lot of room for um, different ideas and different um, times for them to change the group up and bring their own pieces into it. And I think um, that is why they keep coming back. So you three are gonna be at the conference, right? Yeah. Yes, we are. So our upcoming conference, as Tina talked about last week in our, in our newest Tina Talks episode, uh, you can register for that on icdl.com or you can go to our main website, www.rebeccaschool.org and go to our DR conference panel. And so now it's become that part of the show where it's coming to an end. Aww. I know you, you three will be back on Great. at some point <laughs> in the year. And I want to give you that floor time to talk about floor time. <laughs> So whichever one of you wants to start start first. So for me, February is the time where things really start to come together and I don't have to do as much work. Like you put in months and months and months of pushing and setting things up and putting your goals into place and thinking about where the kids need to be and like how you need to focus your therapy. And February for me is always the time where I get to kind of sit back and see the fruits of my labor. And I see the kids really are doing everything I put into motion kind of on their own. And that's a really cool feeling to see, oh, I've been working on these few concepts with this specific kid, or we've been playing this game, and I've been putting in every bit of my sweat equity, and now the kid's initiating that game, and we've been working on it for four months. So I like this time of year as hard as the cold can be. It's, um, it's a good checking point for me. It's about perseverance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jen, I can't agree more. I think that this is the time that I feel like things are cooking and I, I go into sessions and I know the relationship is built and I know that I know what to expect, the students know what to expect, and through floor time we can start to change things up, we can start to do new things, um, we can explore just like so many different different pieces of our therapy sessions now whereas the first four months was a lot of the same and now it's starting to kind of break that routine a little bit and the students are willing and they're flexible and they're um, with me doing so many more things than I thought even possible. I'm gonna sort of be a third wheel here but I'm gonna I'm gonna put a different name on it and I'm going to talk a little bit about teamwork because I think that it's a huge part of what we do every day here and being able to step back a little bit because I can agree and say the same thing um, but what Jen and Lauren touched on, but being able to step back 
from our students and kind of let them take the reins on you know what's happening in our sessions in our groups um, which is a beautiful thing but with we then get to collaborate a little bit differently as a team um, whether it's a whole classroom team or this trio that we're talking about together here today um, but it's just one of the one of the things that I love about working here at the Rebecca School is being part of a team um, but being able to reflect and collaborate I think only helps us push through February get through the cold months of March sometimes even April um, <laughs> and get to the spring where maybe the creative juices start flowing in a different way that was really beautiful thank you I just want to take time to thank all of you oh, for setting for time us, aside to be here today and everything this has been Chris you've been listening to Rebecca listener thank you Jen Lauren and Caroline and thank you everyone out there for listening. Mm-hmm.